day in this neighborhood. So beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say. My neighbor, welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Hey, church. Just do me a favor. If you've ever seen an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood across our network, just put up your hand. If you've ever seen an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, hold your hand up high, keep it up high, and look around across our network. Just look around at that. Isn't that impactful and impressive? Listen, if, even if you've never seen an episode or you have, as we get started today, I just want you to turn to somebody near you and say, hey, neighbor. Just turn to somebody next door. A couple of people say, hey, neighbor. Give them a high five. Give them a fist bump. Turn and say, hey, neighbor. Good, good, good. Man, I am super glad you're here. I want to welcome all of you across the network as we start into week one of Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I want to frame it with just an understanding that for 31 seasons, 912 episodes, Reverend Fred Rogers sought to make sure children knew how to process real issues happening in their world to make sure they knew that they were loved and knew that they had value. He did it for 33 years. 33 years. And I still remember watching episodes of Mr. Rogers as a kid and then watching them with my children later. I, very clearly, him changing into a sweater, putting on his tennis shoes, feeding the fish, interacting with Mr. McFeely and heading off into Atlanta make-believe. Eh? You remember all that? I mean, it was incredibly impactful to, to see him leaning into those spaces. And for generations, we've been impacted by his kind words. But he didn't just offer kind words. He was at the front edge of real crisis and issues and loss in our world. And he was highly impactful. In fact, we're actually taking time as a church on September 15th to do a screening of a documentary about his work and impact in the world. I really want to invite you to come be part of that. It'll be here at the Rock Island campus, 6 o'clock, September 15th. Uh, we encourage you to sign up online. We're asking for a donation of $2 just to defray some of the costs around creating the space and providing resources in the space. But I want to encourage you to be there. It's an opportunity to spark conversation and thinking. We're also in that space going to be doing our silent auction for the parables paintings from our Kiwani brothers. You're not going to want to miss that. So on September 15th, I want to invite you to be here. Now, parents, just want you to understand, the documentary, ironically, is rated PG-13. <laughs> so it's for some thematic content, a little bit of language. So it's up to you how you want to handle that with your children. But we're creating this space for us to really spark some conversation and thinking, not out of some personal or political motive, but out of a relational motive. We want to be more neighborly. And, and Mr. Rogers was someone who positioned us to do that. For, for generations, he called us in kind words to, to be people of kindness. But I, I realize it doesn't take much to look around the world and realize we struggle to be kind. As a nation, we struggle to be kind. We struggle to be civil, hospitable, even empathetic. We struggle with those things, which, which is both sad and problematic at the same time. Because those are not just Fred Rogers' values. Those are the values of Jesus, the values he calls us to, 
And and in this series, we're going to lean into being able to do that, to understand how to live the way he calls us. See, we can look at people and we can bracket people uh, around different categories and different expressions of, of who they are. We can use ethnicity or location or relationship or just status in the world. We, we can define people lots of different ways, but Jesus most often described people with one word and that was neighbor. Neighbor. However, you and I can miss the mark when it comes to being neighborly. Those around us can miss the mark when it comes to being neighborly. We can do it in big ways and even small ways. In fact, here's a small way that's kind of telling. This is a note posted on a door by one neighbor to another. Let me read it to you. It says, hey, did you guys move? Your Wi-Fi isn't working anymore. (laughs) I hope it's, I mean, you're okay. XO Nick. (laughs) Now, I don't know who Nick is, but Nick captures a bit of the missing the mark and being neighborly. And sometimes we, we miss that mark. Sometimes all we know about our neighbor is the name of their Wi-Fi. <laughs> and for some, we have thought that the last name of our neighbor was Linksys for many years. Some of you get that later. <laughs> we can miss the mark in being neighborly. But everybody wants to know that they're loved. They want to know that they're lovable. Yeah, when we interact with people, we tend to bracket them. We tend to interact with people in layers. Let me just talk through this with you for a moment. See, when we, we sit in the world and we engage the world, engage people, we can start to bracket them. And we can start a lot of times just with family. Because they all like, family's first and foremost, it's important. And so that's my spouse, the kids, it's maybe parents. And we say family, that's high on the, on the list. And then, then we kind of, we move to extended family. So it's our, our aunts and uncles, our cousins, maybe, maybe grandparents. But then we can say, okay, now I'm really going to get into who my my friends are. And my friends, I can have really good friends, I can have decent friends, even casual friends. Out of that, we can bracket down into co-workers. So we have our co-workers, and and some of them are really tight teammates, some we kind of get along with, and others we just coexist because they are just co-workers in the dynamic. We have these layers, and we start to bracket people into them. Then we can actually move to acquaintances. So these are just people that we've bumped into, and depending on the meaningfulness of the relationship, we we bracket them. And and then we can consider the people that we actually live near, the the people that are next door in in geographic proximity. And we don't always get to pick those people, but we do have some connection or, or opportunity to connect. And then we can consider the people that we've met or the people that we meet along the way. And depending on the nature of that relationship, we begin to categorize them. And then we can consider the people who we just encounter in life, maybe in in an elevator, maybe just a passing moment, people that we bump into and have this experience in a moment but never ever see them again. The, The list could go on and on into all other different expressions of this. And we tend to bracket people and interact with them in layers. And then we tend to draw lines. See, we draw lines around relationship. We draw lines around affinity, things that we like. We draw lines around uh, alignment. Do we agree in, in issues and principles? We draw lines around the significance or importance of people. We end up drawing lines in here. And every time we draw a line, when we set a limit for the level of care that we express or the willingness to sacrifice or, or to help or even acknowledge the other person, even show kindness. So the question becomes, where do you draw your lines? Do you draw a line here? Maybe, maybe draw a line here? Where do you draw a line? Now, it's okay to bracket and layer relationships. The problem is when we lose sight of the value that's present in all of this. See, everybody has inherent value. So maybe the question actually becomes, 
Where do we no longer acknowledge that value? Where are we unwilling to acknowledge value? At what level do we say there's no longer value? See, we all draw lines when we draw them differently. Where do you draw yours? See, the reality is Jesus drew lines very differently than we do. It wasn't around alignment or it wasn't around proximity or affinity. It was around humanity. He drew lines very different than us. It's okay to bracket and understand layers of relationship. What's not okay is to lose sight of the value that's present in all of them. And no matter how you break these down, the reality is there are four things that should be present in all of them. And those four things are what we're looking at as we lean into Won't You Be My Neighbor as a series. The first of which is kindness. Kindness. We're starting with kindness, which may seem overly simple, maybe even unnecessary to you. may even seem like kids' stuff. But I assure you, it is not. It is key. It is incredibly important. It defines and impacts who we are and, and the people around us. It defines our spiritual journey. Kindness is powerful. Scripture says that, that it is the kindness of God that leads us back to Him. That it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. That's fantastic. His kindness of creating a space so that you and I can come back to him. That's what leads us back into space and relationship with him. Absolutely love it. Truly grateful for it. In fact, before we get too far into won't you be my neighbor and into the fall season, which can you believe that the summer is almost over? It is crazy. For those of you families already back in school, summer is over. But technically, it's not over for a few more weeks. It's coming. Fall is coming. But before we get into that, I want to just pause and acknowledge what God has been doing in and through the Heritage family this summer. Because we have been able to sit back and watch and experience him lead people to himself. People step into relationship with him for the first time. And we know of at least 58 people who have stepped into relationship with Jesus just since June 1st in this summer time frame. That's fantastic. This is why we do what we do, connecting people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. We're, everything we do as a church is about that journey of connecting people relationally to God, to each other, and to their purpose. And we've been able, we know of at least 58 people that stepped into a relationship with Jesus just this summer in the last little over three months. When you couple that and combine that with the 93 people who stepped into the waters of baptism, declaring that inward commitment outwardly, that's fantastic. It's been a, it's been a great summer. But listen, I don't want you to just cruise by 58 and 93. That's no small thing. That's huge. That's the hand of God and favor of God. And, and listen, it, we can get accustomed to it because God has allowed us to experience these things, but it is a big deal. There are some churches that long just to see one salvation in a year, but in a little over three months, we've seen 58. We've stepped into baptism. It's not us. It's God. It's his favor, his hand. And I'm truly grateful. I give him praise because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I give him praise. Now this summer, we walked through a journey around parables. We wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago. And parables are the Jesus' preferred method of teaching. And they were just simple stories with deep spiritual truths connected to them. We looked in the book of Luke for those parables, but one of the parables we didn't actually look at, one of the parables we, that is actually more familiar for most of us that we didn't get to is the Good Samaritan. And as we step into Won't You Be My Neighbor? We're actually gonna hook back to the parables for a moment and into that specific parable, the Good Samaritan. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab it and turn to Luke chapter 10. This is where we're gonna start our journey in the Won't You Be My Neighbor conversation. And the parable comes out of an interaction that Jesus has with a, 
expert in the religious law who comes to Jesus with some questions. And, and quite honestly, I think we all can have questions for God. We can want to ask Jesus questions. And maybe the questions this man asks of Jesus are questions that connect to you and the questions you have for him. But let's take a look at this. We're leaning down into Luke chapter 10. We're starting with verse 25. So one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he seems sincere, but obviously he's testing Jesus. He's, he's doing something in this dynamic. Yet Jesus, in verse 26, he says, what does the law of Moses say? He responds the question with a question. How do you read it? Now, again, this dude is an expert in religious law. So he's actually engaging the man in the response. And that's often what Jesus did. Jesus often sought to teach more than tell. And so he's trying to teach this man. And so he asked that question. Verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives two Old Testament commands, one in Deuteronomy, one in Leviticus. They are the commands that Jesus identified as the two greatest commands in Mark 12. So in verse 28, Jesus says, right. He says, good answer, dude. That's the new revised pastor version. Good answer, dude. And then he says, do this and you will live. So the guy, he's good to go. He's gotten his answer. Jesus interacted in a good way in that dynamic. He should roll forward. But here's what he does next. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. He wanted to justify his approach, his, his posture. He, in some ways, even looking for some exceptions. Justify his actions in, his, in the rest of his life. He's looking for maybe for some loopholes around these two greatest commands. So he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor. Now this seemingly simple question cracks open one of the most important realities for anyone who seeks to follow Jesus. And it prompts a parable. Let me just summarize the parable for you. The parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a Jewish man traveling from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Jericho. Along the way, he, bandits at, attack him, ambush him. They beat him, strip him, and leave him for dead. A little while later, a priest comes along the same roadway, sees him, and, in, and instead of helping, walks on the other side of the road and continues on his way. We don't know if it's because he was busy, selfish, egocentric, prideful, ethnocentric. We don't know, but he just walks by and doesn't help. Then a Levite comes, who is a, a temple assistant. He does the same thing, sees the man, walks on the other side of the road and continues on. But then a Samaritan man. And the Samaritans are people that the Jews actually despised. They looked down on them. They mistreated them. This Samaritan man sees the Jewish man in need, goes to him, cares for his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, cares for him overnight, and then pays the innkeeper to continue to care for him, committing to pay the bill for any additional care when he comes back. It's a beautiful story, but it's one that has beauty in it, but also great discomfort in it for the people that would have been listening that day because what Jesus is actually doing is he is defining neighbor. He is establishing a different line, neighbor. So in this dynamic where instead of using affinity, instead of using alignment, instead of using the things that we use to draw lines, Jesus draws a very different line and he draws one like this. In his definition of neighbor, he draws a circle. He draws a circle. Now, the word for neighbor in the Greek here can be used as friend. It can be used as a member of, of the Hebrew nation, the Jews. And that's how it's used several times. But when it comes to how Jesus uses this word, he does it in a way of drawing a circle around all relationships. Now, check this out. If you're using your note guide, the first fill-in is the word neighbor above these definitions. There's friend. There's a member of the Hebrew nation. But here's Jesus' definition of neighbor. 
any other person, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. That's a very different line than many people draw when it comes to being neighborly. So with that definition, Jesus goes back into this conversation with this expert of the law, and he asks him a question. In verse 36, he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So there's lots of things to pull from this. And as we know from our parables journey, parables are seemingly simple stories with deep spiritual truth. There's lots of angles and layers to them. And they move from simplistic down to the complex to a pathway to a simple application. But as we move away from parables and further into won't you be my neighbor, I just want to draw two things out of this parable. Just two. There's a lot more in it, but I just want to highlight two. The first of which is what the Samaritan did, we're supposed to do. What the Samaritan did in the parable is something that you and I are supposed to do. He showed mercy. Now, the word that that religious expert uses for mercy is more literally defined as kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable or the afflicted joined with a desire to help. That mercy can be between people to people It can be from God to us as humanity, and it can come from Christ to us in his mercy. Mercy, what the Samaritan did, we're supposed to do. And what that Samaritan did in that moment, and this was a dude who was was despised by a group of of people that he was actually trying to help, this individual. the, The Samaritans were mistreated by the Jews, they were not liked by the Jews, but he shows him mercy because he understood who a neighbor was. And we should do the same. Now, here's what the Samaritan does. He extends peace and love and provision and mercy. He extends sacrifice and courage and risk and pardon as well as kindness because he understood the definition of neighbor. And we're to do the same. We're to be kind to those who are not kind to us. That's not always easy, but that's the reality of who Jesus calls us to be. That's the first thing I want you to see in this parable. The second comes from what Jesus says at the very end. When he says, yes, now go and do the same. These words point to a possibility, point to an option, point to a reality. They point to the fact that kindness is a choice. We get to choose. You and I get to choose if we're going to be kind in any dynamic. This parable about the Good Samaritan is not simply about rebuking some people who are selfish, egocentric, and thinking about themselves. That's not, it's actually a call to grace and mercy for all of us. It's a call to kindness because kindness is ultimately a choice. Therefore, it's possible in any dynamic. So if we go back to understanding the dynamic of who our neighbor is, when we take the definition that Jesus gave of, the, of a circle and not a line running through, it's a circle around all of it because kindness adds value, it acknowledges value, and all of, everybody has value. So Jesus draws a circle like this. So we move from asking who our neighbor is because Jesus has said this is who our neighbor is. We move from who our neighbor is to how do we relate to our neighbor? How do we interact with our neighbor? Because this big circle represents a lot of stuff, all kinds of needs, all kinds of Issues, problems, dysfunctions, a lot of time. That's a lot of work to lean into all of this and be neighborly to all these people. 
We're just one person. We have a life. We have other commitments. How do we relate with an understanding of who our neighbor actually is? Well, here's the good news. We are called to have a readiness and willingness to be kind to those the Lord brings in front of us. We are not kind to, we're called to meet every need within this circle. We're just called to meet the needs of those the Lord brings in front of us. To be like the Good Samaritan. To when we encounter something along the road or someone, we have the opportunity the Lord brings in front of us to be neighborly, to be kind. To really do for one what we maybe wish we could do for all. That's the posture we're called to, to hold within the dynamic, to do for one what we wish we could do for all. Fred Rogers did that. Anytime you ever saw him interact with a child, he gave that child his, his, his focus, his complete attention. He did for one what he wished he could do for all for 33 years. You and I can do the same. We can do for one what we wish we could do for all. We're called to do that. And, and let me just give a little bit of insight about kindness. At the core of kindness is the fact that it's free. <laughs> it's free. Man, it's free, and if we follow Jesus, we have access to an endless supply of kindness. Because kindness is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what brings kindness. Let's go to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 for a moment. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, and what? Oh, come on now, what? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen, these are the things the Holy Spirit brings into our life when we walk with Jesus. It, it, the moment we step into a relationship with Jesus and saying, be my Savior and be my Lord. Forgive me of my junk. I, I want to walk with you. I want to submit to your authority. Then we have access to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings these things into our life to equip us, guide us, lead us, direct us. And these things include kindness. We have access to kindness, an, an endless supply of kindness if we follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's free. Now let me just say something about that. If we walk with Jesus, we have the capacity for kindness. But we may need to develop the competency behind it. See, capacity is ability. Capacity, we either have it or we don't have it. And we can have capacity in lots of different things. But when we walk with Jesus, we have the capacity to be kind. But we may not have developed the competency. Competency is the skill. Competency is the function. Competency is the thing that if we practice and lean into and engage, we can actually raise our competency to the level of full capacity. But many people, although they have the capacity in Jesus, have not developed the competency. They need to lean in to developing the practice, the skill, the habit of being kind. We're supposed to be kind, even to those who are not kind to us. Capacity is one thing, competency is another. The priest and the Levite uh, had the capacity to be kind, but they did not demonstrate the competency when they walked on the other side of the road and kept going. We're to be kind. I don't want us to be a people who have the capacity but don't live out the competency, who don't live into capacity because we haven't developed our competency. I don't want that for us as a church. I don't want that for you as an individual. So I want to move to understanding some of the specifics, the practical realities of the how and what of being kind. But before we do that, I want to just highlight and acknowledge some general realities around the, the idea that we do have a capacity that comes from the Holy Spirit around kindness and just the realities of kindness itself. The first is that kindness still matters. Kindness still matters. Even in a world that doesn't seem to value it, in a world that seems to be less and less prominent, kindness is still important. It is still valuable. It still matters. It is worth the sacrifice and the effort, even if only in the eyes of God, it still matters. It's worth it. 
It is concern and consideration for others that every time we offer kindness shows a depth of character. It still matters. It's a virtue, and it's a virtue that, can, that has the power to transform and change systems and dynamics and relationships and lives. Kindness matters. Kindness actually adds value into any dynamic, even a dynamic in a world that seems to lack it or not want it. Kindness matters. It's valuable and it's important. Second thing is that kindness produces kindness. Kindness still matters, but kindness produces kindness. Kindness gives birth to kindness. Every time we choose to be kind, it creates an opportunity for more kindness, either from us or in the person we were kind to. Kindness produces more kindness. It's multiplicative. So it not only matters, it multiplies. And on top of that, kindness is always an option. In any setting, kindness is always possible, so it's always an option. Because it's always possible, we need to seek to always be kind whenever possible. It matters. It multiplies, and it's always an option because it's actually a choice we get to make in any dynamic, in any setting. It's more of a lifestyle that's demonstrated in moments, and it's possible. It's always an option, especially because of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit brings out the fruit of kindness. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be kind in any dynamic when we allow the authority of Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And one of the reasons that Peter, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, um, spoke about suffering for doing good connects back to the call to be kind, to be neighborly. And in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, we can read these words. He said, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because, of, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. He's talking about being kind in spaces where people aren't kind. The heading in many Bibles says suffering for doing good above this section. We are, we are to be kind even when people are not kind. These are the things that, these, these things he's describing express the heart behind kindness, uh, that sympathetic, the, the humility that comes of loving one another, being humble. These are actually the things that the Samaritan demonstrated when he crossed the road and took care of that Jewish man who was in need. He demonstrated mercy. He demonstrated kindness and goodwill, and it matters. It multiplies as it produces more, and it's always an option, but it's something we have to choose. We get to choose. So love your neighbor. You know, I think we all understand that the opposite of, kind, of being kind is to be unkind. Being unkind is being judgmental, not be, it's being unmerciful, it's actually being prideful or even mean. And I just want to clarify that speaking the truth in love is not being mean. Don't get those confused. Speaking the truth in love comes from a very different place. It's rooted in scripture. The spirit behind it is different. It may be uncomfortable, but it's not mean. When I'm talking about being prideful or, or unkind and being mean is very different. It's harsh. It doesn't come out of love. We can be unkind, but at the same time, we can withhold kindness. Those are two sides of the same coin to some degree. But if we follow Jesus, we should neither be unkind or neither withhold kindness. Both are problematic people who follow Jesus shouldn't do that. We're, we're called to show grace and mercy and kindness, which is ultimately all rooted in love. Rooted in love. Mr. Rogers actually said something that explains this a bit more. He said that love is at the root of everything. All learning, all parenting, all relationships. Love, 
or the lack of it. At the core behind our relationships, at the core behind kindness is ultimately love. And kindness matters. Kindness produces kindness. And kindness is always an option if we choose it. So let's move this into life for a few moments. Let's figure out how to put this back into life and how we're going to live today. And I just want to encourage you to put your pen down for a moment. You can close your eyes if you want to. I just want you to think for a moment and recall a time in your life where you experienced kindness, where, where someone was kind to you. Just think of one moment. I want to give you time to do that, a time that you experienced kindness. Maybe it was expressed in generosity. Maybe it was expressed in just encouraging word. Maybe it was a, a lending a helping hand. Uh, maybe it was uh, just giving a listening ear. I want you to think of a time that you experienced a moment of kindness. Okay, hopefully you have one. Rhetorical question now with that person and moment in mind, how did you feel? How did that make you feel? And why? See, kindness still matters. It produces kindness and it's always an option. As you're thinking about that person, if you've never had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to acknowledge to them what their kindness meant, I wanna encourage you to do so. If it's appropriate and possible to create an effort or space and time to, to actually acknowledge what that kindness meant, to thank them, to send them a note, write them a note, send them a text, tell them in person. Kindness repaying kindness matters. It produces more kindness. I wanna encourage you to thank that person if you haven't yet done that. It's important. But then once you do that, I want you to consider who it is that the Lord is positioning for you to be kind to. It could be somebody who's up in the upper echelons of how you bracket relationships, or maybe somebody a little further down, maybe somebody who's further out and even disconnected, but who is the Lord asking you to show kindness to next? Because there is. As the people of God, he brings in front of us opportunities to demonstrate his love in kindness, in mercy. So who is it that he's asking you to do that with? or four. If you don't know who, ask him, talk to him, pray about it. If you still can't figure out where to engage in kindness next, I wanna encourage you to go to the opposite end and think way down here, to flip it around and consider who you are unwilling to be kind to, who maybe in your mind you've already said, ah, they have been so mean, I am not gonna repay that with kindness because that may be where he wants you to start. Maybe it's in a broken relationship somebody who's been mean to you. Maybe it's someone who's different than you, a foreigner. There's an opportunity to be kind. If, if the person you're thinking through or trying to figure out who that is, maybe they are different, but I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't matter how different they are from you, they are still loved and valued by God the same as he loves and values you. So be kind. Who is it that he's calling you to engage with in being kind next? A couple of weeks ago in our parable series, I kind of put out the challenge for us to embrace a love for people that surpasses our opinion of them. Embracing a love for people that surpasses our opinion of them can be pretty gripping reality. It can be hard to, to lean into that, but I want to tell you, this sinks back to that reality when we're talking about being neighborly. Who is that for you? Who is Jesus calling you to love at a level that surpasses your opinion, that surpasses your comfort? Who is that for you? The reality is wherever we are in intersecting with people, wherever we encounter people, we have the opportunity to be kind. If you're in proximity to a human being, there is an opportunity to be kind, but it's a choice. 
So be kind in his power. There's an endless supply of kindness through Holy Spirit. It's free. And it creates a ripple, an immeasurable ripple for them and for us. But I'll be honest with you. If, if you and I are unwilling to be kind, if we're unwilling to show kindness, we don't have the platform or the forum to be right because we're already all wrong in the eyes of God. When, when we actually choose not to be kind, it means we're wrong. It means we're wrong. The priest and the Levite who walked on the other side of the road, if they had chosen to be kind, they would not have been wrong. But they were wrong when they chose to be unkind or withhold kindness. You and I don't have the platform to be right with God and we choose to be unkind. Kindness is a platform of being right with God and with others. It's an expression of love. It's kind of the substance of living rightly. Without kindness, we lose the moral high ground in every matter. The, the moment we choose to be right over being kind, we're actually wrong. Every time we choose to be right in a debate, in an argument, in an issue, at the expense of being kind, we're wrong. And, and, and right beliefs are always lost in unkind actions. Be a person who chooses to be kind. It is never wrong to choose kindness. Forsaking kindness always erodes goodness. It has a ripple, it's never neutral. We can be a people who choose to be kind. Valuing kindness over being right actually positions us to be in right relationship with people and with God. But it's ultimately a choice. And if you're someone who's messed this up, you've gotten this wrong, kindness has slipped and the complexity of life has, have positioned you to not be kind. Listen, it's the kindness of God that leads us back to repentance. His kindness creates a space that we can say, hey, I'm truly sorry, Lord, forgive me of that. And today, start with a different posture. Today, start with a posture of kindness. One, where we, as we encounter people, make the most of the opportunity to be kind. You know, in Ephesians chapter two, we're reminded of something that's pretty important if we're gonna actually be kind and be neighborly. Paul wrote, for we are God's handiwork. I love that word, handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to be kind, to show mercy, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are called, created by God for him to do good works. We're handiwork, we're, there's beauty in who we are even if there's brokenness and we are positioned to be kind and to be merciful. A, a lack of kindness actually points to a lack of his presence in our life, a, a lack of fruit, maybe just a, a lack of reliance on him. We may believe, but we're not relying on him. A lack of kindness points to a lack of fruit of the Holy Spirit. But when we have consistent kindness in our life, when we're consistently kind to the, everyone we encounter along the way, it shows consistent presence of his spirit at work within us. But choose to be kind. It's actually a choice that we're empowered by Holy Spirit to do. So I wanna leave us with two questions that I hope you process today and even through the course of the week. The first is a bit of a repeat earlier from who you can be kind to, but where do you need to extend kindness next? Where do you need to extend kindness? Uh, Listen, this is not uh, another point of pressure to add one more thing to your already full to-do list. <laughs> Identifying who we're to be kind to, when we're supposed to be kind, how we're supposed to be kind, where we're supposed to do that is actually fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is outflowing of the Holy Spirit. It's not performance. When we walk with him, we're positioned to be kind. So who is it that he's positioned you to be extending kindness to next? Uh, an encouraging word. Uh, to a listening ear, to take a meal, to lend a helping hand. Really, kindness adds value. So how do you add value? How do you remove a burden? How do you help someone in a dynamic? Who has he positioned you 
to extend kindness to next. If you know that person, then act in kindness apart from gratitude. Don't do it to be thanked. Don't do it if you're only gonna get thanked. Do it out of love. We don't know if the Jewish man who was beaten alongside of the road ever turned around and thanked the Samaritan for what he did. Jesus stopped the parable, we don't know. The reality is he quit telling the scenario to leave us in a space of understanding. But we are to act kindly apart from seeking gratitude. So no matter how the person responds, no matter if they've been kind to you or not, extend kindness in the love in the name of Jesus. If you don't know who that person is, again, just pray and talk to the Lord, ask him. But as you do, be ready and willing to step. So after you consider who to extend kindness to, I wanna encourage you to consider where you need to receive kindness. Where do you need to receive kindness? It would be absolutely ridiculous to think that this, the Jewish man on the side of the road would have rejected the help of the Samaritan. Like, like I don't, out of ego, out of ethnocentrism, just out of shame, to say, oh, get away from me, I don't need help. Uh, he received the help. In all the complexity, he received the help. So where do you need to receive kindness? Because it's a blessing not only for us who receive, but for those who give it. And as you process that, listen, I realize sometimes our inability to be kind to others is rooted in the fact that we are unkind to ourselves. That we have this tape playing in our mind of self-loathing, that we don't think we're worthy, that we don't think we deserve kindness. And out of that lack of kindness to ourselves, we are positioned to struggle to be kind to others. I want you to be free of that if that is your dynamic today. You don't have to sit in that space. You are God's handiwork. You are, you are his masterpiece. You are created for purpose. You have, he has a purpose and a plan for you. It is to do good works. Do not get caught up in hating on yourself, which then positions you to not be able to be kind to others. Step into the freedom and never losing sight that you are beloved son or daughter of the most high God and you are his handiwork. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. Because when we do that, kind people actually live in a state of abundance. As we are being kind and receiving kindness, there is this dynamic that takes place that leads to deeper levels of relationship. It leads to, leads to more intimacy with God. It's a space of abundance. But if we are unwilling to be kind to ourselves or unkind to others, we do not have the platform to be right with God. We're already out of step and wrong. So my invitation for you today is to extend or receive kindness in the spaces the Lord's positioning you to do so to be a person who is willing and ready to sacrifice and be kind, to be a person who not only blesses in being kind, but also is blessed in receiving that kindness. As you process that, ultimately, we're acknowledging where we draw the line of no longer acknowledging value. Don't be someone who just draws lines that are safe and comfortable. Be willing to let Jesus draw a line of a circle where you're ready and willing to step and be neighborly in any moment along the way. It's a choice. It matters and it has a multiplicative ripple, but it's always an option. My prayer is that we would choose it in his power and his strength and watch what he does as a result. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who loves and is kind, that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. I thank you that through Jesus, his sacrifice, his willingness to be kind in spaces where we've been unkind, that it has created a way for us to know you. And so today, maybe my friends need to, some of them need to process where they sit with you and maybe it's just acknowledging your great love and stepping into relationship and receiving your kindness by stepping into life and relationship through Jesus.
Or maybe it's just to receive kindness just for ourselves because we've hated on ourselves. We've, we've got stuck in some self-loathing. Or perhaps the bigger challenge, the opportunity before us is to love and show mercy and to be kind to someone else, even if they've been unkind to us. But I pray that as you bring those opportunities before us, you would not only allow us to be aware of them, but have the courage to step boldly into them for your glory. And may the ripple be significant. May, may your love abound. May there be a kindness that produces kindness because we've been willing to risk. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the way that you've risked with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.